The Bible makes it clear that God is everywhere. There is nowhere we can go, whether on earth or beyond the galaxies, to escape the presence of God. The psalmist makes this clear when he cries out, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Theologians call this omnipresence, being everywhere at once. And though God is omnipresent, the Bible also teaches that God is present in a special way in specific locations. First, let's look at the altar. When early Old Testament followers of Yahweh wanted to worship God, or when a person encountered God in a special way, they would build an altar as a place to worship. The first recorded place we find an altar is with Cain and Abel. We don't find the word altar in the text, but it says that they brought their sacrifices before the Lord. In order to offer their sacrifices to God, Cain and Abel had to bring their offerings somewhere, and offerings were done at altars. Following the flood, we read of Noah building an altar to offer worship to the Lord. In Genesis 12, we read of Abraham, the father of nations, building the first of many altars. In Genesis 35, Jacob builds an altar out of obedience to God. From the beginning of the story of God, worshipers would offer their worship by means of the altar. Next, the tabernacle. At Mount Sinai, following the exodus out of Egypt, the people of God became the nation of God. As a nation, Israel needed a place to come into the presence of God to offer sacrifices and worship. Small altars would no longer be enough. Something larger was needed. So, on Sinai, God told Moses, I want the people of Israel to build me a sacred residence where I can live among them. It's important to note that it was God who initiated the building of the tabernacle and not Moses. God not only told Moses to build it, but he gave him very specific instructions on how to build it. You must make this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the plans I will show you. God does not leave it to human beings to define the type of worship they offer. It is God who decides what is good pleasing and acceptable worship, not us. God knew what was best, and he told Moses in detail. Now, according to God's plan, the tabernacle replaces the altar as the primary location where God reveals his presence to his people. But as God so often does, he does not eliminate the old way of worship. He incorporates the altar into the tabernacle. 
A modern application for us today would be to incorporate hymns with contemporary choruses. When we look at the Old Testament tabernacle, we could easily have the tendency to think about it as an institution focused on endless sacrifices and tedious rituals. But this dismisses its significance in the Old Testament, and even the purpose of Christ's coming. The tabernacle was a symbol of a higher reality, heaven here on earth. It was truly the means by which God and his people connected. Just as we find God in Christ, the people of Israel found God in his tabernacle. The tabernacle was God's home on earth. It symbolically represented heaven on earth. When we view the tabernacle in terms of God's presence, it becomes obvious how Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us, fulfills the role the tabernacle played in the time of Moses and David. Most English translations of John 1.14 provide a rather bland rendition of this passage. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. But the passage comes alive when we realize that the verb translated dwelling, eskenosin, is formed from the noun tabernacle, skene. We feel the impact of this verse when we translate it as the word tabernacled among us. Jesus is our tabernacle. Where he is, there is God. When someone met Jesus, he or she was in the presence of God. Years after God instructed Moses to build the tabernacle, King David longed to build a formal, permanent place of worship for the people to gather and worship the Lord. He fervently sought the Lord, but God told him that it was David's son, Solomon, who would build the temple. During this time, Israel was set in the middle of pagan nations and peoples, people who had temples and rituals that represented their gods. The reason that God wanted a permanent home, a house of worship among his people, was that he wanted a place where his acts would be remembered. Worship is remembrance. We remember God's acts of mercy and salvation through the Word and through sacred actions that proclaim and enact God's acts of salvation. And we generally do this in a particular place, the church building, the house where God's people gather. I am persuaded that God does not have a problem with form. It is, after all, God who created form. Moreover, God became form through the Incarnation. It is in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, which the world sees and knows God. God encountered humankind in the most profound way through the Incarnation. We find this principle of Incarnation foreshadowed in the Temple. In the Temple, God resided and met with His people through symbols and rituals. Through these visible tangible, concrete signs, the families of Israel approached the throne to worship God. 
In addition to Jesus becoming our tabernacle, as we talked about earlier, he also identified himself with the temple. As worshipers, we are also encouraged to join the whole earth in worshiping God. The pages of scripture are filled with phrases declaring that the whole earth offers praise and worship to the Lord. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. God is not only worthy of praise, but will receive praise regardless of our actions. The praise of God cannot be silenced or stifled. And if humans refuse to praise or are unable to praise, then creation will pick up the slack. Jesus told the Pharisees, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. We have the opportunity and privilege to worship the Creator amidst and throughout His creation. As we worship, we join with the trees clapping, the rocks crying, the waves exclaiming, and the fields declaring their praises of God. The Bible also speaks of heaven as a place where God's presence is uniquely present. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Wow. As we worship here on earth, we are being prepared for an eternity of worshiping the Father around the throne. As we worship here and now, we join with creation in heaven and earth in responding to who God is and what he has done. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. O Lord, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. No matter where we go, it is right to join with all creation, praising God and offering Him our worship. There is no need to wait until we arrive at a certain location, as worship should not be relegated to any particular spot. The right location to worship God is exactly where you are. There is no specific place in which worship is more acceptable than another, but I hope that we have also seen that places are beneficial to our patterns of worship. God has established certain locations as special meeting places. Today, those meeting places include church facilities as well as other places of worship. But God does not intend for our worship only to be contained within those spaces. God desires for us to worship Him in all places and at all times.